Chapter Three of Lorna Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shirley Anderson. Lorna Doone by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Three, The Warpath of the Dunes. From Tiverton Town to the town of Orr is a very long and painful road, and in good truth the traveller must make his way, as the saying is, for the way is still unmade, at least on this side of Dulverton, although there is less danger now than in the time of my schooling, for now a good horse may go there without much cost of leaping, but when I was a boy the spurs would fail, when needed most, by reason of the slough-cake. It is to the credit of this age, and our advance upon fatherly ways, that we have now laid down rods and faggots, and even stump-oaks here and there, so that a man in good daylight need not sink if he be quite sober. There is nothing I have striven at more than doing my duty, waywarden over Exmoor. But in those days, when I came from school, and good times they were too, full of a warmth and fine hearth-comfort, which are now dying out, it was a sad and sorry business to find where lay the highway. We are taking now to mark it off with a fence on either side, at least when a town is handy. But to me this seems of a high pretence, and a sort of landmark and channel for robbers, though well enough near London, where they have earned a race-course. We left the town of the two fords, which they say is the meaning of it, very early in the morning, after lying one day to rest as was demanded by the nags, saw a foot and foundered. For my part, too, I was glad to rest, having aches all over me, and very heavy bruises, and we lodged at the sign of the White Horse Inn, in the street called Gold Street, opposite where the souls are of John and Joan Greenway, set up in gold letters, because we must take the homeward way at Cockcrow of the morning. Though still John Fry was dry with me, of the reason of his coming, and only told lies about father, and could not keep them agreeable, I hoped for the best, as all boys will, especially after a victory, and I thought perhaps father had sent for me because he had a good harvest, and the rats were bad in the corn-chamber. It was high noon before we got to Dulverton that day, near to which town the river X and its big brother Baal have union. My mother had an uncle living there, but we were not to visit his house this time, at which I was somewhat astonished for we needs must stop for at least two hours, to bait our horses thorough well, before coming to the black bogway. The bogs are very good in frost, except where the hot springs rise, but as yet there had been no frost this year, save just enough to make the blackbirds look big in the morning. In a hearty black frost they look small, until the snow falls over them. The road from Bampton to Dulverton had not been very delicate, yet nothing to complain of much, no deeper, indeed, than the hocks of a horse, except in the rotten places. The day was inclined to be mild and foggy, and both nags sweated freely. But Peggy, carrying little weight, for my wardrobe was upon Smiler, and John Fry grumbling always, we could easily keep in front, as far as you may hear a laugh. John had been rather bitter with me, which methought was a mark of ill taste at coming home for the holidays and yet I made allowance for John, because he had never been to school, and never would have chance to eat fry upon condition of spelling it. 
therefore i rode on thinking that he was hard set like a saw for his dinner and would soften after tooth-work and yet at his most hungry times when his mind was far gone upon bacon certes he seemed to check himself and look at me as if he were sorry for little things coming over great but now at dulverton we dined upon the rarest and choicest victuals that ever i did taste even now at my time of life to think of it gives me appetite as once and a while to think of my first love makes me love all goodness hot mutton pastry was a thing i had often heard of from very wealthy boys and men who made a dessert of dinner and to hear them talk of it made my lips smack and my ribs come inwards and now john fry strode into the hostel with the air and grace of a short-legged man and shouted as loud as if he were calling sheep upon exmoor hot mutton pastry for two travellers and number five in five minutes dishin' up in the tin with the gravy same as i hardered last tuesday of course it did not come in five minutes nor yet in ten or twenty but that made it all the better when it came to the real presence and the smell of it was enough to make an empty man thank god for the room there was inside him fifty years have passed me quicker than the taste of that gravy it is in the manner of all good boys to be careless in apparel and take no pride in adornment good lack if i see a boy make do about the fit of his crumpler and the creasing of his breeches and desire to be shod for the comeliness rather than for use i cannot scape the mark that god took thought to make a girl of him not so when they grow older and court the regard of the maidens then may the bravery pass from the inside to the outside of them and no bigger fools are they even then than their fathers were before them but god forbid any man to be a fool to love and be loved as i have been else would he have prevented it when the mutton pasty was done and peggy and smiler had dined well also out i went to wash at the pump being a lover of soap and water at all risk except of my dinner and john fry who cared very little to wash save sabbath days in his own soap and who had kept me from the pump by threatening loss of the dish out he came in a satisfied manner with a piece of quill in his hand to lean against a door-post and listen to the horses feeding and have his teeth ready for supper then a lady's maid came out and the sun was on her face and she turned round to go back again but put a better face upon it and gave a trip and hitched a dress lest the hostlers should laugh that she was losing her complexion with a long italian glass in her fingers very daintily she came up to the pump in the middle of the yard where i was running the water off all my head and shoulders and arms and some of my breast even and though i had glimpsed her through the sprinkle it gave me quite a turn to see her child as i was in my open aspect but she looked at me no whit abashed making a baby of me no doubt as a woman of thirty will do even with a very big boy when they catch him on a hayrick and she said to me in a brazen manner as if i had been nobody while i was shrinking behind the pump and craving to get my shirt on good little boy come hither to me fine heaven how blue your eyes are and your skin like snow but some naughty man has beaten it black oh little boy let me feel it ah how then it must have hurt you then now and you shall love me all this time she was touching my breast here and there very lightly with her delicate brown fingers and i understood from her voice and manner that she was not of this country but a foreigner by extraction and then i was not so shy of her because i could talk better english than she and yet i longed for my jerkin and liked not to be rude to her 
"'If you please, madam, I must go. "'John Fry's waiting by the tapster's door, "'and Peggy neighing to me. "'If you please, we must get home to-night, "'and father will be waiting for me "'this side of the telling-house. "'There, there, you shall go, little dear, "'and perhaps I will go after you. "'I have taken much love of you, "'but the baroness is hard to me. "'How far you call it now to the bank of the sea "'at wash, wash, at watch it, likely you mean, madam. "'Oh, a very long way, "'and the road is soft as the road to oar. "'Oh, ah, oh, ah, I shall remember. "'That is the place where my little boy live. "'And some day I will come seek for him. "'Now to make the pump flow, my dear, "'and give me the good water. "'The baroness will not touch "'unless a nebule be formed outside the glass. "'I did not know what she meant by that, "'yet I pumped for her very heartily, "'and marvelled to see her for fifty times "'throw the water away in the trough, "'as if it was not good enough. "'At last the water suited her, "'with the likeness of fog outside the glass.' "'and the gleam of a crystal underneath it. "'And then she made a curtsy to me, "'in a sort of mocking manner, "'holding the long glass by the foot, "'not to take the cloud off. "'And then she wanted to kiss me, "'but I was out of breath, "'and have always been shy of that work, "'except when I come to offer it. "'And so I ducked under the pump-handle, "'and she knocked her chin on the knob of it, "'and the hostlers came out "'and asked whether they would do as well. "'Upon this she retreated up the yard, "'with a certain dark dignity "'and a foreign way of walking.' which stopped them at once from going farther, because it was so different from the fashion of their sweethearts. One with another they hung back, where half a cartload of hay was, and they looked to be sure that she would not turn round, and then each one laughed at the rest of them. Now, up to the end of Dulverton Town, on the northward side of it, where the two new pigsties be, the oar folk and the watchet folk must trudge on together, until we come to a broken cross, where a murdered man lies buried. Peggy and Smiler went up the hill, as if nothing could be too much for them, after the beans they had eaten, and suddenly turning a corner of trees, we happened upon a great coach, and six horses labouring very heavily. John Fry rode on with his hat in his hand, as became him towards the quality. But I was amazed to that degree that I left my cap on my head, and drew bridle without knowing it. For in the front seat of the coach, which was half-way open, being of the city make, and the day in want of air, say to the foreign lady, who had met me at the pump and offered to salute me. By her side was a little girl, dark-haired and very wonderful, with a wealthy softness on her, as if she must have her own way. I could not look at her for two glances, and she did not look at me for one, being such a little child, and busy with the hedges. But in the honourable place sat a handsome lady, very warmly dressed, and sweetly delicate of colour. And close to her was a lively child, two or it may be three years old, bearing a white cockade in his hat, and staring at all and everybody. Now he saw Peggy, and took such a liking to her, that the lady his mother, if so she were, was forced to look at my pony and me. And to tell the truth, although I am not one of those who adore the high folk, she looked at us very kindly, and with a sweetness rarely found in the women who milked the cows for us. Then I took off my cap to the beautiful lady, without asking wherefore, and she put up her hand and kissed it to me, thinking, perhaps, that I looked like a gentle and good little boy, for folk have always called me innocent, though God knows I was never that. But now the foreign lady, or lady's maid, as it might be, who had been busy with the little dark eyes, turned upon all this going on, and looked me straight in the face. I was about to salute her, at a distance, indeed, 
and not with the nicety she had offered me. But strange to say, she stared at my eyes as if she had never seen me before, neither wished to see me again. At this I was so startled, such things being out of my knowledge, that I startled Peggy also with the muscle of my legs, and she being fresh from stable, and the mire scraped off with a cask hoop, broke away so suddenly that I could do no more than turn round and lower my cap, now five months old, to the beautiful lady. Soon I overtook John Fry, and asked him all about them, and how it was that we had missed their starting from the hostel. But John would never talk much till after a gallon of cider, and all that I could win out of him was that they were murdering papishers, or the devil, as they came from. And a good thing for me, and a providence, that I was gone down to Delverson Town to buy sweet stuff for Annie, else my stupid head would have gone astray with their great outcoming. We saw no more of them after that, but turned into the sideway, and soon had the fill of our hands and eyes to look to our own going, for the road got worse and worse, until there was none at all, and perhaps the purest thing it could do was to be ashamed to show itself. But we pushed on as best we might, with doubt of reaching home any time, except by special grace of God. The fog came down upon the moors as thick as ever I saw it, and there was no sound of any sort, nor a breath of wind to guide us. The little stubby trees that stand out here and there, like bushes with a wooden leg to them, were drizzled with a mess of wet, and hung their points with dropping. Wherever the butt-end of a hedgerow came up from the hollow ground, like the withers of a horse, holes of a splash were pocked, and pimpled in the yellow sand of conies, or under the dwarf tree's ovens. But soon it was too dark to see that, or anything else, I may say, except the creases in the dusk, where prisoned light crept up to the valleys. After a while, even that was gone, and no other comfort left us except to see our horses' heads jogging to their footsteps, and the dark ground pass below us, lighter where the wet was, and then the splash, foot after foot, more clever than we can do it, and the orderly jerk of the tail, and the smell of what a horse is. John Fry was bowing forward with sleep upon his saddle, and now I could no longer see the frizzle of wet upon his beard, for he had a very brave one of a bright red colour, and trimmed into a whale-oil knot, because he was newly married. Although that comb of hair had been a subject of some wonder to me, whether I in God's good time should have the like of that, handsomely set with shining beads, small above and large below, from the weeping of heaven. But still I could see the jog of his hat, a Sunday hat with a top to it, and some of his shoulder bowed out in the mist, so that one could say, Hold up, John, when Smiler put his foot in. Mercy of God, where be us now? said John Fry, waking suddenly. Us ought to have passed hold hash, Jan. Zeen it on the road, have ye? No, indeed, John, nor old ash, nor nothing else to my knowing, nor heard nothing, save thee snoring. What a fool thee must be, then, Jan, and mesel no better. Hearken, lad, hearken. We drew up our horses and listened, through the thickness of the air, and with our hands laid to our ears. At first there was nothing to hear, except the panting of the horses, and the trickle of the evening drops from our head-covers and clothing, and the soft sounds of the lonely night, that made us feel and try not to think. Then there came a mellow noise, very low and mournsome, not a sound to be afraid of, but to long to know the meaning, 
with a soft rise of the hair. Three times it came and went again, as if the shaking of the thread might pass away into the distance, and then I touched John Fry to know that there was something near me. Don't he be a fool, John. Vain music as ever I hear. God bless the man as made undo it. Have they hanged one of the dunes then, John? Never talk like of thicky. Hang a doon, God knoweth the king would hang pretty quick if her did. Then who is it in the chains, John? I felt my spirit rise as I asked, for now I had crossed Exmoor so often as to hope that the people sometimes deserved it, and think that it might be a lesson to the rogues who unjustly loved the mutton they were never born to. But of course they were born to hanging when they set themselves so high. It be nobody, said John, for us to make a fush about, belong to t'other side of the moor, and come stealing our shape to our side. Red Jem Hannaford his name. Thank God for him to be hanged, lad, and good cess to his soul for quaking so. So the sound of the quiet swinging led us very modestly, as it came and went on the wind, loud and low pretty regularly, even as far as the foot of the gibbet, where the four crossways are. Vamous job this ere, cried John, looking up to be sure of it, because there were so many. Here be my own nick on the post, red gem too, and no doubt of him. He do hang so handsome like, and his ribs up like a horse almost. God bless them as discovered the way to make a rogue so useful. Good night to thee, Jem, my lad, and not break thy dreams with the quaking. John Fry shook his bridle arm, and smote upon Smiler merrily as he jogged into the homeward track from the guiding of the body. But I was sorry for Red Jem, and wanted to know more about him and whether he might not have avoided this miserable end, and what his wife and children thought of it, if, indeed, he had any. But John would talk no more about it, and perhaps he was moved with a lonesome feeling, as the creaking sound came after us. "'Hold thee tongue, lad,' he said sharply. "'Us be nay the dune track now, to mail from Dunkery Beacon Hill, the highest point of Hexmoor. So happen they be abroad to-night. Us must crawl on our belly-places, boy.' I knew at once what he meant, those bloody dunes of Bagworthy, the awe of all Devon and Somerset, outlaws, traitors, murderers. My little legs began to tremble to and fro upon Peggy's sides, as I heard the dead robber in chains behind us, and thought of the live ones still in front. But John, I whispered warily, sidling close to his saddle-bow, dear John, you don't think they will see us in such a fog as this? Never God made a fog as could stop their ice in he whispered in answer fearfully. Hear us be by the hollow ground. Zober, lad, go Zober now, if thee wish to see thy mother. For I was inclined, in the manner of boys, to make a run of the danger, and cross the dune-track at full speed, to rush for it and be done with it. But even then I wondered why he talked of my mother so, and said not a word of father. We were come to a long deep goyle, as they call it on Exmoor, a word whose fountain and origin I have nothing to do with. Only I know that when little boys laughed at me at Tiverton, for talking about a goyle, the big boy clouted them on the head, and said that it was in Homer, and meant the hollow of the hand. And another time a Welshman told me, that it must be something like the thing they call a pant in those parts. Still, I know what it means well enough, to wit, a long trough, among wild hills, falling towards the plain country, rounded at the bottom, perhaps, and stiff, more than steep, at the sides of it. Whether it be straight or crooked makes no difference to it. 
We rode very carefully down our side, and through the soft grasses at the bottom, and all the while we listened as if the air was a speaking trumpet. Then gladly we breasted our nags to the rise, and were coming to the comb of it, when I heard something, and caught John's arm, and he bent his hand to the shape of his ear. It was the sound of horses' feet knocking up through splashy ground, as if the bottom sucked them. Then a grunting of weary men, and the lifting noise of stirrups, and sometimes the clank of iron mixed with the wheezy croning of leather, and the blowing of hairy nostrils. God's sake, Jack, slip round her belly and let her go where she will. As John Fry whispered, so I did, for he was off Smiler by this time. But our two pads were too fagged to go far, and began to nose about and crop, sniffing more than they need have done. I crept to John's side very softly with a bridle on my arm. Let go, Bradle, let go, lad. Plays God they take them for forest ponies, or they'll send a bullet through us. I saw what he meant, and let go of the bridle, for now the mist was rolling off, and we were against the skyline to the dark cavalcade below us. John lay on the ground by a barrow of heather, where a little gullet was, and I crept up to him, afraid of the noise I made in dragging my legs along, and the creak of my cord breeches. John bleated like a sheep to cover it, a sheep very cold and trembling. Then just as the foremost horseman passed, scarce twenty yards below us, a puff of wind came up the glen, and the fog rolled off before it, and suddenly a strong red light, cast by the cloud-weight downwards, spread like fingers over the moorland, opened the alleys of darkness, and hung on the steel of the riders. "'Dunkery Beacon,' whispered John, so close into my ear that I felt his lips and teeth a-shake. "'Didn't fire it now except to show the dunes way home again, since the night as they went up and throwed the watchman atop it. "'Why, what be about, lad? God's sake!' For I could keep still no longer, but wriggled away from his arm, and along the little gullet, still going flat on my breast and thighs, until I was under a grey patch of stone, with a fringe of dry fern around it. There I lay, scarce twenty feet above the heads of the riders, and I feared to draw my breath, though prone to do it with wonder. For now the beacon was rushing up, in a fiery storm to heaven, and the form of its flame came and went in the folds, and the heavy sky was hovering. All around it was hung with red, deep in twisted columns, and then a great beard of fire streamed throughout the darkness. The sullen hills were flanked with light, and the valleys chined with shadow, and all the sombrous moors between awoke in furrowed anger. But most of all the flinging fire leaped into the rocky mouth of the glen below me, where the horsemen passed in silence, scarcely deigning to look round. Heavy men and large of stature, reckless how they bore their guns, or how they sate their horses, with leathern jerkins, and long boots, and iron plates on breast and head, plunder heaped behind their saddles, and flagons slung in front of them. I counted more than thirty pass, like clouds upon red sunset. Some had carcasses of sheep swinging with their skins on, other had deer, and one had a child flung across his saddle-bow. Whether the child were dead or alive was more than I could tell, only it hung head downwards there, and must take the chance of it. They had got the child, a very young one, for the sake of the dress, no doubt, which they could not stop to pull off from it, for the dress shone bright where the fire struck it, as if with gold and jewels. I longed in my heart to know most sadly what they would do with the little thing, and whether they would eat it. It touched me so to see that child, a prey among those vultures, 
that in my foolish rage and burning I stood up and shouted to them, leaping on a rock and raving out of all possession. Two of them turned round, and one set his carbine at me, but the other said it was but a pixie, and bade him to keep his powder. Little they knew, and less thought I, that the pixie then before them would dance their castle down one day. John Fry, who in the spring of fight had brought himself down from Smiler's side, as if he were dipped in oil, now came up to me, all risk being over, cross and stiff, and aching sorely from his wet couch of heather. "'Small thanks to thee, Janet, as my new wife bain't a widder. "'And who be you to support of her, and her son, if she have one? "'Zav thee right if I was to chuck thee down in the dune-track. "'Zim thee'll come to un, sooner or later, if this be the sample of thee.' "'And that was all he had to say, instead of thanking God. "'For if ever born man was in a fright, and ready to thank God for anything, "'the name of that man was John Fry, not more than five minutes agone. "'However, I answered nothing at all.' except to be ashamed of myself, and soon we found Peggy and Smiler and company, well embarked on the homeward road, and victualling where the grass was good. Right glad they were to see us again, not for the pleasure of carrying, but because a horse, like a woman, lacks and is better without self-reliance. My father never came to meet us at either side of the telling-house, neither at the crooked post, nor even at the home linhay, although the dogs kept such a noise that he must have heard us. Home side of the linnae, and under the ashen hedgerow, where father taught me to catch blackbirds, and all at once my heart went down, and all my breast was hollow. There was not even a lanthorn light on the peg against the cow's house. And nobody said, Hold your noise, to the dogs, or shouted, Here are jackers. I looked at the posts of the gate, in the dark, because they were tall, like father, and then at the door in the harness-room, where he used to smoke his pipe and sing. Then I thought he had guests, perhaps, people lost upon the moors, whom he could not leave unkindly, even for his son's sake. And yet about that I was jealous, and ready to be vexed with him, when he should begin to make much of me, and I felt in my pocket for the new pipe which I had brought him from Tiverton, and said to myself, He shall not have it until to-morrow morning. Woe is me, I cannot tell, how I knew I know not now, only that I slunk away without a tear or thought of weeping, and hid me in a saw-pit. There the timber overhead come like streaks across me, and all I wanted was to lack, and none to tell me anything. By and by a noise came down, as of woman's weeping, and there my mother and sister were, choking and holding together. Although they were my dearest loves, I could not bear to look at them, until they seemed to want my help, and put their hands before their eyes. End of chapter 3 Recording by Shirley Anderson